from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. Today, Democrats in the Senate and the House have announced they will once again threaten judicial independence from the steps of the court. That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell this morning responding to the left's latest outrage, a threat to pack the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll talk with Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, who made his maiden speech before the U.S. Senate yesterday. And CNN caught admitting they cashed in on scaring the public with COVID-19 death tolls. Project Veritas releasing a new undercover video that exposes the bias of the legacy media. We'll talk with the project's communication director, Nick Jeevis, later. Here on Washington Watch. Also, the left wants to keep America shut down, locked up, and forced to wear masks because of the coronavirus. But there is another pandemic in America, and I can assure you the left won't touch it. But I will. We'll talk about it later here on Washington Watch. And Georgia Governor Brian Kemp joined me last night for our weekly Pray Vote Stand broadcast to discuss how the president, the media, and corporate America are all lying. That's right, lying about the election reform efforts in the Peach State and other states. Why? Well, we talk about it. TonyPerkins.com is the website. If you miss anything on your way home, it's all archived right there on the website. Also, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. And you know what? With social media, you never know who's going to be canceled next. So to stay in touch with us, Text the word STAND, that's the word STAND, to 67742. That way you can stay in contact with us. We can send you updates on national alerts, events, and resources. Now, messages and data rates may apply. You reply STOP to cancel. Help for help. Visit frc.org slash text for terms and conditions of our privacy policy. All right. It, uh, if it wasn't clear from the president's formation of a commission on the Supreme Court that he announced last week, it's crystal clear now. Democrats want to pack the court or at least threaten to do so. And why? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Democratic lawmakers introducing legislation that would add four new justices to the Supreme Court. Just the number they need, by the way, to create a seven to six liberal majority. They couldn't even wait for the president's new commission of mostly liberal scholars to formally issue a conclusion along those lines, as most expect they will. Here's more of what the Senate Republican leader had to say this morning. One survey late last year showed that a clear majority of Americans oppose packing the Supreme Court. But the farthest left activists aren't interested in the common good. They want power. And the same Democrats and the same corporate media that spent the last four years hyperventilating and declaring a new constitutional crisis was underway every 30 seconds seem to be perfectly content to play along. Well, joining me now to talk about this and more is Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, who yesterday on the Senate floor made his maiden speech. Senator, welcome to the program. Tony, it's been it's good to be back on with you. It's been too long, and we got a lot to talk about. What what do you want to start with today? Well, there is a lot. Let's talk first about this court packing scheme uh, yeah. that we're hearing from Democrats earlier this afternoon. Nancy Pelosi actually saying she won't go along with the progressives. But what's really at play here? Well, Tony, this is a power grab. You know, just think about it. We've had nine Supreme Court justices, I believe, since 1879. And nine has been just fine, but the Democrats are upset that some might say that we have a five-to-four ratio of conservatives to liberals on the Supreme Court. And I I think that's probably a stretch, as you know, based upon some of their votes to call some of these folks conservatives on the Supreme Court. But So they they can't win by the rules, so they're going to change the rules. They're going to grab power. And, you know, one of the first tests of leadership is that you don't try to grab more power when you have the opportunity to do that. Uh, So for our our folks who think that the sanctity of life is important, that our Second Amendment is important, uh, or that our freedoms of speech and religion are important, that's where we would end up is losing those by they would pass unconstitutional laws. So the Democrats would pass unconstitutional laws 
and then if they pack this court with liberal judges, then they won't have the guts to say that, oh, no, this is unconstitutional. We're going to make your private church school hire a transgender person to be your PE teacher, you know, those types of things. So uh, we we got to get fired up about this one. You know, Dr. Marshall, I know your father was a police chief, and so you've been around law enforcement, been around the criminal mind. Um, and oftentimes, what and, and I use that intentionally, because what I see here, in part, is a threat. It, it is a threat. It's kind of like aiming a loaded gun at someone, threatening them with it. it. It can go off. But I think what this is, is it's almost hostage-taking. Because they're saying, I think what they're communicating is, look, if you don't pass H.R. 1, this federal takeover of elections, if you don't allow us to push through the Equality Act, which would torpedo religious freedom, we're going to eliminate the Senate legislative filibuster, and we're going to pack the court. So it's like they're hanging this over your heads to force you to go along with what they want. Exactly, and and even to go further with the criminal mind, and, and it's hard for me to think like this, but but they're holding it over the current nine Supreme Court justices as yeah. well. That if mm-hmm. they don't change their ways, if they don't if they don't conform to the liberal policies, by golly, we're going to add four more people as well. So you're right. This is part of the power grab, and and the left just overreaching, um, which is just it just blows me away. Joe Biden ran said he would be a moderate, but he has a very extreme liberal radical agenda, and we're seeing it play out right before our eyes. Well, and, and what you just stated is not uh, speculation. It actually is rooted in history because that's exactly what FDR did. He wanted to pack the court with uh, enough justices to give him a liberal majority because the conservative majority had been undermining his uh, big, expansive government plans. But what we saw happen uh, after Congress, uh, you know, basically dismissed his effort to pack the court, we saw the court trend more liberal as a result of that. They do respond to these political threats. No doubt, I think that is a part of why we see the chief justice making some of the decisions that he's been making. You know, obviously, I mean, they're humans as well. They're going to read the the newspapers. They see where the pressure is coming, and they're trying to represent the the values of America. But Tony, this is this is why your job, my job is so important. I still believe that you and I represent the values of the super majority of Americans. And we have the tail wagging the dog right now. I still believe that most Americans believe in the same values that you and I were raised on. We that the sanctity of life on on our, our God given values of of uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all the all those things that you and I were raised on, and the Supreme Court should be uh, interpreting the Constitution consistent with those values, and obviously consistent with the Constitution. Uh, so we've we've got to we've got to gird up our loins, as they say, and, and speak loudly now. When we hear these complaints about the judiciary being politicized, this is the, exactly the type of stuff that does it. When you threaten to pack the court because you don't like the fact that the previous administration filled vacancies and tilted the balance of the court toward a constitutionalist viewpoint. And so you're going to change the out. You want to change the outcomes by putting politically minded individuals on the court that in my view, and I think I'm not the only one, I think actually liberal, even some liberals hold this view that what you're doing is is you are jeopardizing the, the legitimacy of the court in the minds of the American people, and justifiably so. Yeah, Tony, you know, if you kind of look through the American history, there was a, certainly an era when the, the executive branch was probably the most powerful, and maybe for a while the unions were, and maybe at one point uh, Congress was. But I think if we reflect over the last 40, 50 years, the judicial branch has actually been the strongest and the most powerful entity in the nation. I think they're starting to get shoved to the side, though, by social media and uh, biased, uh, biased media as well. Uh, but, but, but you're right. They're, they've become way too politically active, and we need to get back to our roots. Well, speaking of those roots, uh, Senator Marshall, yesterday you made your maiden speech on the Senate floor. You talked about uh, those values from which uh, you have grown up with, that you grew up with in, in Kansas, and you talked about some of those things. But one of the things you also you, you brought up 
Uh, you talk about one of your favorite paintings hanging on the uh, Capitol yeah. Rotunda, that of George Washington. You know, briefly, just share with our listeners about that. I thought that was fascinating. You know, I, I try to do a Capitol tour uh, once a week with folks from back home. And we do it late at night, and we stop at the in the Capitol Rotunda, and I talk about um, General Washington and, and President Eisenhower and, and one of my favorite paintings in there, it is my favorite painting. It has President Washington. He's surrendering his commission. So the Revolutionary War is over with, and America thinks George Washington will be the first king for America. And they have the robes ready for him and a king's throne ready for him. But the painting shows the robes thrown off his shoulders and setting on the king's throne, that we would not have a monarchy, that instead we would have a republic. And, you know, the, the lesson, and I, we kind of started off this conversation about, about power, about a power grab. Washington didn't grab for more power when he had the opportunity. Type of leaders we want in Washington. And right now we're seeing this left radical agenda is totally a power grab, whether it's, you know, federalizing election laws, uh, totally part, partisan legislation on COVID relief, um, packing the court, losing the filibuster, those are all power grabs. Executive, you know, double the number of executive orders we've ever seen. So the Democrat Party is becoming more like exactly what President Washington didn't want us to become. They're trying to grab more power. Well, speaking of that power, the, uh, the latest, well, I, I can't say the latest. I mean, every 15 minutes we're seeing some other example of it. But what the president rolled out recently in his infrastructure bill, this uh, monstrosity, of a measure, $2 trillion plus dollars. Is that going to make its way through the Senate, given the fact that less than 10% of that money is actually going to go to infrastructure? Well, they'll have to do it through budget reconciliation if, if, if it does, um, and, and which is feasible. Uh, that's the route they'll have to go. Budget reconciliation is the only way they can get something to pass on 50 votes plus the vice president's tiebreaker as well. And even as that, Joe Manchin and, and Kristen Sinema are saying that it's a no-go as well. But I bet, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be a challenge for us to stop it. But to your point, uh, it, it is anything but an infrastructure bill. There's only $110 billion in this for roads and bridges, but there's $170 billion in there for electric car chargers, $300 billion in tax credits for buying electric cars as well. So this is really a Green New Deal and a grab-your-wallet, raise-your-taxes bill. It's anything but infrastructure. Well, Dr. Marshall, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today, and uh, congratulations on your first speech there on the Senate floor. We look forward to many, many more speeches that you'll be making on behalf of faith, family, and freedom there in the United States Senate. Tony, I enjoy working with you. Can't wait till I get to talk to you again. All right. Senator Roger Marshall of uh, Kansas. To find out more, go to the website, TonyBerkins.com. Medical doctor, if you've listened to the program, you've heard him on here many times. Uh, Very outspoken on the life issue, and uh, we're so glad to see him over in the, uh, the Senate working on a host of issues, including, including those values issues, which he will be uh, championing in the United States Senate. All right, coming up next, Project Veritas has been releasing a new series of videos exposing the bias in legacy media newsrooms. Well, what did they find this time? Well, we'll talk with the project's communication director to find out right after this break. So don't go away. More Washington Watch to come in just a moment. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? 
Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. So good to have you on this website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home this afternoon, you can find it all later, archived at TonyPerkins.com. All right, they've done it again. I love these guys. Uh, James O'Keefe and his team at Project Veritas is pushing out another series of undercover videos exposing the troubling and intentional bias in the fake news, in the newsrooms of legacy media for its uh, hashtag Expose CNN campaign, Project Veritas, got on camera, CNN's technical director, who told an undercover reporter that the focus of, at CNN was to get President Trump out of office. He also talked about CNN baiting and manipulating its guests, also talked about how they were able to boost their ratings by scaring people with the uh, coronavirus death tolls. Here's, here's a clip of uh, a part of what they released yesterday. Look what we did. We got Trump out. I am 100% going to say it. And I 100% believe it, that if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have gotten voted out. I really don't think so. Really? I think if COVID had, I think if COVID hadn't happened, it wouldn't have mattered what covered, and Trump would still be in office. Oh, I, no, I believe no, I, don't I, I came to CNN because I wanted to be a part of that. So here they are admitting, obviously, undercover camera, uh, covering the fact that they exposed or they were intentionally trying to get Donald Trump out of office. And, in fact, you just heard the technical director uh, say that he came to CNN for that very purpose, to try and undermine President Trump, tilt the election so that uh, they could unseat him. I mean... This is the kind of stuff, and, and this isn't the first one, obviously. We've seen more uh, coming out of CNN in some of the previous videos that show this bias, nature of CNN. But it's not just there. I mean, obviously, we know MSNBC is there as well. This should give everyone pause when it comes to the legacy media. Now, we're trying to get uh, connected here with the uh, communications director, I think we're going to have him here shortly. We had some technical uh, issues in connecting. But here, here's the thing. The media has become a part of the opposition to 
conservatism in America. They are the mouthpiece for the left. I mean, uh, so anyway, to, to tell us more about this is uh, the communications director for Project Veritas, Nick Jeeves. Nick, welcome to Washington Watch. Hello, sir. Thank you. Just to clarify, sir, I'm the managing editor of the newsroom, actually. Okay. All right. Well, give us, uh, you know, I just showed a part of the clip of this latest release uh, on this undercover investigation of uh, of CNN. I, I mean, were you surprised at how open and blatant they were? In the- Not at all. I mean- Not at all. Not at all. This has become the normal standard, it seems. And I can say this even from experience as a, a former journalist. I've worked at many outlets, national outlets. And I believe there's a disease of indifference running through this industry, uh, something that used to be sacred. This used to be relied upon for the truth, and people made life decisions, sometimes life and death decisions, based on what they heard on the news. And to see what it's become, I, I still leave it to the public to judge for themselves, but I think it's there all in black and white. Uh, this person from CNN was on camera saying they know it's propaganda, and CNN refuses to respond, refuses to take action. So, no, I'm not surprised, but I am still disturbed. Now, I didn't play all the clip. I played a short clip, but also in this clip, uh, it, it reveals that how widespread this is. This is not just a few people in the newsroom that's manipulating. This goes all the way to the top. Yeah, well, in the tapes that we had, at least in part of them, you have this technical producer, Charlie Chester, saying that this is coming from, like you said, the very top of the network. This is Jeff Zucker using a, what they even call a bat phone, a red phone in certain cases, to call producers to tell them to put the COVID death ticker back up on the screen in the name of ratings. Now, these, these words, I encourage your viewers to go to ProjectVeritas.com. Um, I would tell you to go to James O'Keefe's personal account, but it has just been permanently shut down. So this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a media that will come after you if you dare to tell the truth. And that's very ironic, given that the media's mission should be to seek truth. Should be. Should be. Uh, emphasize should be. Should be. So, be. Uh, yeah. Nick, um, what has been the response other than to shut down James's uh, site? What, what, what has been the response? Any, any word from CNN? No, nothing from CNN thus far. And also, I don't want to conflate the CNN with the shutdown of James's account. We, we're still working on uh, response and, and figuring that out, and we've put out a few statements. But per the CNN story, no, they refused. Oliver Darcy, media reporter for the network, hung up on James when he called in personally. Uh, I and several members uh, of my staff in the media department tried to get a hold of anyone we could. We went, we even in person traveled to Warner Media headquarters with a camera, uh, offered to turn it off if they'd give us a meeting, a statement, anything. We were we met with security and police. Now, nothing happened, obviously, uh, but we had to leave with no response, no statement, no text. And I must say, the silence is deafening and frightening. So, Nick, final question for you. Uh, Americans looking for information, looking for news, wanting to know what's happening. Can they rely on the legacy media anymore? No, no. And it's been that way for some time now. It's been, I don't want to say decades because I don't want to go beyond what the exact years are. How can you determine that? It it can be subjective, but I've noticed it personally over the last decade that it's gone completely into uh, just factions and whatever faction, whatever media outlets behind. Now, there's exceptions, of course, Project Veritas being one of the few. But even at the other outlets that you would think were closer to real journalism, there's a lot of politics going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of interest at play here. And that's not the way the media should be. It can't function yeah. that way anymore. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Nick Jeeves, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And keep up the great work over there at Project Veritas. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I pinpoint the date with the election of Barack Obama. And, and I, I do that from personal experiences. I have watched what the media has done. Uh, this has been, uh, it's been about, about 12 years. And it's, uh, it's gotten worse by the day to where now the, the media is outright hostile and, and won't even engage in conversations with conservatives. Speaking of that, uh, kind of an explosive moment on Capitol Hill earlier today in a hearing 
with uh, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, uh, and Congressman Jim Jordan. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Okay, earlier today on Capitol Hill, Congressman Jim Jordan uh, was in a committee hearing in which National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, actually this was yesterday, I guess this was yesterday, um, on a select committee on the coronavirus. And the uh, there was this a question, basically, at what point can we get our freedoms back? He, he was pressing Dr. Fauci to, to give an answer, a response. All right, how, how, many, how many people have to be vaccinated? At what point can we stop with, uh, you know, the suffocating mask and all of this ridiculousness that we're doing? I, I want to play this clip for you. Where does it get to? When it comes down, what number do we get our liberties back? Tell me the number. Tell me the number. When 90 percent of the members of Congress get vaccinated. But you're not a doctor, Mr. Clyburn. He is. What is the number? I can't Thank give... you for recognizing me, Mr. Clyburn. Thank you. He cannot recognize his uh, five I'd minutes. I'd like my question answered. I don't, I don't, I don't, reclaiming I don't, I don't, reclaiming I don't, my time. I want to Regular order. Regular order. No, if, just a moment. Mr. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, I don't want you to answer my question. The American people want Dr. Fauci to answer the well, question. What does it have to be? Expire, sir. If you need to respect the chair and shut your mouth. Now, that uh, person chiming in there at the end, telling Jim, Jim Jordan to shut his mouth, was uh, uh, get in their faiths, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, uh, who was, uh, you know, wasn't her fight, it wasn't her time to speak, but she wanted to weigh in nonetheless. Now, here's what I'm going to talk about. You know, we're all over this coronavirus. You know, mask, you know, the president mandates masks. It's a crime now. If you happen to be on a plane, fall asleep, and your mask falls off, and you don't put it back on, uh, it's a crime, a federal crime. Uh, And you'll be put on the no-fly list. Now, this is one example. Of course, you're packed in there like sardines, so much for social distancing. Can't make money on that. The, the, the inconsistencies here are, are so, I mean, it just reveals that the political nature of this. This is about control. All right, we're, we're over a year into this. Um, and Jim Jordan is asking a legitimate question. At what point do we get our freedoms back? 
At what point will the government back off of this? Many states already are, but the federal government's still pressuring them, calling them Neanderthals if they won't uh, follow their lead and forcing everybody to wear these masks and all this other stuff. But here's my point here. I want to bring this up. Here, there's another pandemic, and this actual one is, is not new, but it, it's gotten worse for the sixth year in a row. This just out this week from the CDC. They have reported that for the sixth consecutive year, Sexually transmitted diseases have hit all-time highs. They've continued to increase, and this year, this last year, which the data was collected, has hit an all-time high. This is cases of uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis in the United States hit an all-time record. This is according to the Centers for Disease Control. Now, the um, what we're talking about here, about uh, 2.6 million new cases in 2019. That was up from approximately 2.5 million new cases last year. Between 2015 and 2019, there was a 30% increase in STDs. We're now at a point in America where one out of every five Americans has a sexually transmitted disease. Many of them are incurable. And the cost, just the medical cost alone, is roughly about $20 billion a year. That's what it costs to treat these sexually transmitted diseases. Now, in this release, the acting director of the CDC's Division of STD Prevention, Raul uh, Ramagera, said this. He said that, I'm just going to quote from their release, approximately 31% of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and primary and secondary syphilis cases were among non-Hispanic black individuals, although they accounted for only 12.5% of the U.S. population, according to the report. Men who have sex with other men were also disproportionately impacted by STDs, the report says. It goes on to say these disparities likely aren't caused by differences in sexual behavior, but rather reflect differential access to quality sexual health care, as well as differences in sexual network characteristics. For example, in communities with higher prevalence of STDs, with each sexual encounter, people face a greater chance of encountering an affected partner than those in lower prevalence settings do, regardless of similar sexual behavior patterns. Acknowledging inequities in STD rates is a critical first step toward empowering affected groups and the public health community to collaborate in addressing systematic inequities in the burden of disease within the, with the ultimate goal of minimizing health impacts. What? What we're talking about here is people's behavior. You want to put an end to STDs in this pandemic? Tell people not to have sex outside of marriage. Oh, how can you do that? Well, you tell people to wear masks. You threaten to put them in jail. I mean, look, the left's not going to touch this because this, it's rooted in morality. And this is not new. Sex and these issues have long been a problem, but now we're celebrating. And guess what's happening? It's exploding. Sexually transmitted diseases are exploding because we've become a culture in which we identify ourselves by our sex. I I mean, think about this. America is headed down a path that is extremely, extremely dangerous. But no one wants to talk about it. All right, when we come back, I'm going to play a little bit from last night's conversation I had with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp in our Pray Vote Stand program. Don't go away. I'm coming back right after this. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. 
Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. All right, last night uh, on our weekly Pray Vote Stand broadcast, we had on Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to talk about how the radical left has been pushing out a false narrative around the state's election reform laws. And, and what's worse, corporations have been buying into what they've been been fed and, and, and just repeating it. I mean, there, it, I, I don't know how... These major corporations like Coca-Cola, Delta, I mean, these are big, big, big operations, and they all have legislative affairs divisions. I mean, I know. I mean, I used to deal with them when I was in office. I would think that among all of those highly paid individuals, someone could actually read, that they could read, they could actually read the bill. It was only about 90 pages. But it's evident that no one read it. Because what they did is they just parroted the same words that um, Mr. President uh, President Biden, who got the four Pinocchios from the Washington Post for lying about denying people water in line, cutting off the, uh, the lines at 5 p.m., all that stuff was not true. So what was really behind? What's really behind this? There's really much more than what meets the eye. Last night I had that uh, conversation. I wanted to play a portion of that for you. Uh, here's uh, a clip from last night's conversation with uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Well, Governor, I, I know as a conservative in politics today, you know, you're accustomed to some controversy. But I have to ask you, did you ever think that you would see the president of the United States lying about the legislation that you signed into law and then having all of these uh, corporate leaders jumping on top as well? Yeah, it's really unbelievable, and I've told a lot of people, I mean, the truth is on our side here. We've got a good bill. Uh, it actually expands voting opportunities prior to the election in our early voting period, but it also further secures the ballot and is addressing a lot of problems that we learned about from not only our citizens, but local elections officials that I've worked with for, you know, nine years when I was Secretary of State. And, that, that's what always happens after big elections. We always have housekeeping uh, legislative policies many times after these elections. And, you know, there's a lot of work, a lot of thoughtful 
uh, due diligence that went into this through the whole process, and I'm very proud of what we did in Georgia. And quite honestly, I, I have been in the eye of the eye of the storm, as you said. But you know, I'm fine doing that because we, you know, there's people that are, including the president, that are unfortunately just lying about the bill and trying to really sway a national audience. I think to to push an agenda in Washington D.C. to have nationalized elections, which I think would be terrible. That's not what our founders envisioned to prevent foreign interference. Uh, Governor, what your state, what Georgia was doing in this case is simply what they're supposed to do. You see issues, you see irregularities that pop up in the election. The people wanted to see this addressed. The leaders wanted to see it addressed. And that's what you did in this reform bill. Very basic things that are that addressed issues that arose in this last election. Yeah, absolutely. And if you really look at the bill, I mean, it's, a, it's you know almost a 100-page piece of legislation, but it's also really simple. It makes law in Georgia that makes it easy to vote and hard to cheat. We're replacing a signature verification on absentee ballots by mail with a voter ID, which we've had in Georgia since the mid-2000s, and you can get one for free. It's securing ballot box and putting them into the statute for the first time ever. We've never even had ballot drop boxes before this election. They were done by emergency rule because of uh, the COVID public health emergency, so we've codified that into law. If we hadn't have done anything, there would be no drop boxes in the next election. We've also uh, mandated that county elections officials continuously tabulate the ballots until every vote is counted. We saw people starting and stopping this last election. creates a lot of doubt, a lot of suspicion. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it adds additional days for weekend voting during our early voting period. So it's really kind of comical at the things that the, the left and a lot of people that have political agenda, and I will tell you a lot of these people are making a lot of money and profiting off of this, um, are spreading out there. Uh, Governor, let me just address a couple of the um, misstatements, let me put it that way, that, uh, that the president has made about the bill. Uh, are, you, are you pushing for dehydrated voters, that they can't have anything to drink in line? Yeah, that one has probably been the most far-fetched thing I've ever seen. I mean, we've had laws in place and rules in Georgia before where you couldn't elect electioneer uh, people while they were in line. I mean, we don't want any third-party groups, whether it's the NRA or Planned Parenthood, trying to convince somebody how to vote while they're standing in line to go through the process. So that's improper. Uh, it intimidates people. Voters don't want that. It disrupts them getting through the line. And that's a 150-foot buffer in Georgia, and that varies all over the country. We're probably in the middle of pack on the, the distance that we have for our, our buffer. But outside of that, if you're at 151 feet, you can set up a food truck, you can hand away drinks, you can hand away pizza, you can wave signs, hand out your brochures. I've done that as a candidate. But once you're inside the buffer, you, you can't, even though the county elections officials can set drink stations up for those voters. But the real question here that the left's not answering is, why are those people standing in line that long? It's because they're in poorly run counties that don't have efficient processes and they need to make changes. This bill actually addresses that point. If precincts have lines over one hour in the next election, they gotta take action to fix that, either by adding more equipment, splitting the precinct so you don't have those kind of problems. And that's what the left won't talk about because most of the counties in Georgia where that's happened, are these large metropolitan counties that are run by Democrats. Uh, they'd rather focus on somebody not getting water versus what the real problem is and, and, and not be truthful with people. Yeah, good point. Uh, and to that issue, that was another thing that they raised, that you're trying to cut off the, the working man from being able to vote, saying that voting is cut off at 5 p.m. Well, that's ridiculous, too. If you really look at the whole piece of legislation, this... Uh, this legislation, there, there's going to be like 134 more uh, counties. We have 159 counties in Georgia. Under this legislation, 134 of the 159 counties will actually be having more hours of early voting than they had in the last election. So this is really bringing consistency to the voting process. And mind you, we have absentee ballot by mail for you know, months before the election. We have three weeks of in-person early voting 
That includes two mandatory Saturdays, and counties can opt in and do two up to additional to two additional Sundays. Uh, so for us, you know, for for us to be accused of not allowing the working man to vote is absolutely ridiculous and just not true, quite honestly. Well, the truth does not get in their way. No. I, I want to go. Uh, I want to play a short clip of uh, Governor Doug Ducey. I mentioned earlier that your stand, and I've seen this in my 25 years in politics, especially when you're leading, you're at the tip of the spear of this election reform, um, by standing and in, in facing off with the left, uh, you are in, inspiring other governors to do the same. Here's a clip of Governor Ducey, who's doing similar reform in his state. In terms of uh, what we're going to do here in, in Arizona, um, I'm going to sign good policy, okay? And I, I report to the people of Arizona, not, not a major sports league. And, and I'm going to make decisions on the policies that are put in front of me. And if good policy is put in front of me, I'm going to enthusiastically sign it. So, Governor Kip, let me ask you this. Has the, the left become accustomed to elected leaders who will just kind of cave in the face of pressure? I mean, you've, you've faced some of the biggest corporations in America. You've got the president of the United States, but yet you've stood your ground. Is that something they're not accustomed to? Well, I think it is, and I fortunately, well, I guess probably unfortunately, I've been dealing with this for a long time. I, I dealt with, you know, Stacey Abrams, a lot of these, um, you know, activist groups that have sued the state for many years. They have one agenda, and that is to nationalize elections and undermine, quite honestly, having secure elections. And I, I want to have secure, accessible, fair elections. That's what I've always fought for is plenty of access, but also plenty of security but listen, these folks are pros at what they are doing. They are shaking these companies down. If you look at some of the religious leaders that are involved with this, they have actively engaged in supporting my past opponent's campaign. That's documented. Um, you know, they, they are partisans. They are not for what they say they're for, just for, you know, not suppressing the vote. They have an agenda. And the, the good thing for us, again, is the truth is on our side. That's why I have so forcefully defended the work our legislature did here in our state. Um, it's a good bill. It went through a lot of different changes. I think we actually caught these folks off guard, to be quite honest with you. Uh, they thought we were going to do something else. They messaged this three, three weeks before the legislation ever passed by reserving the domain name Jim Crow 2.0 and the president referenced that this bill was, you know, Jim Crow on steroids. It's a lie on steroids is what it is. And now that the truth's getting out there, we're winning this battle. I believe the left and these activists that have overplayed their hand, the corporations and the many folks in the corporate community are now realizing that they have been played and that some of these folks have not been truthful with them. And I have. I've looked in the, as you mentioned, over 60 interviews where I've looked in the camera or spoken in the microphone and told people, Somebody's lying to you here, and it is not me. I've answered every single question. None of these individuals are coming out with specifics in the bill. They're just blurting, you know, these buzzwords out there like, you know, this is a step backwards, this is regression, this is suppressive, this is Jim Crow, and not pointing to one specific thing. So it is a time for us to stand up and fight for elections that make it easy to vote, and hard to cheat. And that's what Senate Bill 202 in Georgia does. And I should say, Governor Kemp, that uh, the bill is readily accessible. The law, you can actually go online. I've downloaded it. It's uh, less than 100 pages. And so you can, folks can see for themselves. They can actually read the bill, something that many of these uh, CEOs and obviously the president uh, did not do. One final question for you, Governor. Uh, again, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. But one final question with two parts. One, what would you say to other elected leaders who have the same issues in their state that they need to clean up elections and reform those to make sure that every vote cast is counted, every legal vote that is cast? And then secondly, what would you say to the people of uh, how they should respond to this overreach of the left? Well, listen, this is the time for us to stand up and fight. I haven't seen something unite conservatives like this in a very long time. Uh, so I think that's a blessing in disguise from, you know, really how the president and the left have overreacted on this. 
But for other policymakers, I mean, I, I hate giving other people advice, but I think, you know, what we did in Georgia was we followed the facts and what happened on the ground. Now, there's others saying, oh, well, you're just chasing the big lie and this, that, and other. And that's not what we did. If you really look at the due diligence that the legislature went through and the talking points that they have for all of these issues that they addressed, they are actually addressing things that happened on election day. They're, I mean, I've talked to county elections officials about the voter ID requirement for absentee ballots by mail. We had a 351% increase in those. That signature ver verification was, you know, arbitrary. It got more arbitrary because there were so many ballots. It slowed the process down, which delayed the results coming in. And they said a voter ID requirement or a number would speed that process up. It would make it less arbitrary, more secure, but also more efficient. So, I mean, every one of these points were addressing issues that we saw in the election. And the legislators here know that. And now the people here are beginning to understand that. And I would urge others to to do the same so that after you get the governor like Governor Ducey to sign that bill, you can get up and defend it to people because the truth is on our side. Again, that was a conversation we had last night with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. There's actually a lot more to last night's program, and you can watch all of it. Actually, I had a conversation with Ken Blackwell, uh, also a, a minority owner of Cincinnati Reds, as well as former Secretary of State of Ohio, and then Michael Lancaster, the Georgia State Director for the Frederick Douglass Foundation. You can find it at at uh, prayvotestand.org and watch the entire program. Look, look, here's what's behind this. We've got 47 states that have introduced over 360 bills to address the irregularities that took place in the November election. There were a lot of them. It was, and, and so the idea here is if you can take the biggest one out, which was Georgia, election, uh, reforming their elections with uh, voter ID laws, uh, regulating, you know, this, uh, the ballot boxes that were put out by independent organizations, the funding by Zuckerberg and others. Look, they know if they could stop Georgia, they could stop most of these other reform measures. Why do they want to do that? Because that, that helps them. If they can say we need to, the federal government to fix the elections, that gives them the leverage to blow up the legislative filibuster in the Senate and not only pass H.R. 1, but also the Equality Act uh, regular, really the Inequality Act, as well as the court packing and all these other radical ideas. This is key to their narrative. But these states are doing the right thing. And so in your state, unless you're in Vermont or Ohio, then your state has some form of election reform bill in process or somewhere in the process. Encourage your state legislators to fix these issues. Free, fair, elections. we got to have them. It's the key to the preservation of our republic. All right, folks, we're uh, out of time again. I want to thank you for joining us. There's more for you at TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.